Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world, that means the unbelieving world, runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Word of God. This line in the text, if you look at verse 25, where it says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Come, the uh, translators aren't actually sure how to translate that because literally what it says is, Who of you by worrying can add a single span or cubit to his height? Uh, I can relate to that. Middle school, upper middle school and lower high school was really hard. I was what they call a late bloomer. And so all the other boys started to go, and here I was, four foot eleven. You know, we had this, I went to this little Christian school. We had a class of 14. And uh, let me get this right. 14, 7, and 10. 16 maybe it was. Okay, 10 guys, 6 girls. So there's 8 guys in the back row, and I had to be one of the 2 guys that stood in the front row of the picture beside the girls. Because, the other, and the other one was Asian, so he was supposed to be short. Okay? <laughs> so, so, you know, basketball... Uh, I'm on the bench because everybody's towering over me and um, I, 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 can't, I can't do anything. In volleyball, I can't get near the top of the net, so they put me in the back just to dig. You know, you just wait for those balls that come over us. And so I was just conscious all the time of my height, you know. Um, God, why can't I be growing? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm watching the other guys grow and I'm sitting at home like looking at my legs going, when are these things going to start to lengthen, you know? I probably, aside from, aside from the amount of time I spent in front of the mirror putting hairspray on my, 
my hair, which is a whole other story. I probably spent, yeah, you never seen that. <laughs> oh, I could have had a whole other habit in high school, like a whole other habit. If I didn't use hairspray and comb my hair. And aside from that, I probably spent the most amount of time worrying about my height. And I literally think I was trying to worry myself into getting taller. And it didn't work. So I relate to Jesus' words. Who of you by worrying can add anything to his height? You can't get taller by worrying. It doesn't happen. I tried it. And Jesus is hes being funny. He's speaking in jest and seriously at the same time. And he's starting from the lower and arguing to the higher. And he's saying, look, if you can't do these things. And then he moves from that to just bring us boatloads of encouragement. Boatloads. And we're going to get into that encouragement this morning. But I think we can't get in there too quickly. And I think that if we move to the comfort and the encouragement that Jesus brings too quickly, we might be in danger. Because for some of us, it might be false comfort. And here's why. Jesus isn't speaking these words about not worrying to everybody. There are a lot of people around Jesus. We've just gone through several passages where he's been speaking to religious leaders, where somebody in the crowd called out to him and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Jesus addressed the greed that was in his heart. He was speaking to everyone. But he's not speaking to everybody when he brings this comfort or this encouragement. The text begins this way, Then he said to his disciples, And you remember that when we began this Gospel of Luke, that we asked ourselves, what does that mean? What is disciple? We don't have those in this culture. What did they mean? And by disciple, we learned that a disciple was somebody who was going to follow very closely after a rabbi or a teacher, and they were being invited by the rabbi, it was an immense privilege, to be made into a carbon copy of that person. To be made exactly like them. And so when the rabbi gave the invitation, come, follow me, that person, upon accepting it, was was receiving and uh, taking up the call to become like the Master. So Jesus is speaking these words of comfort and encouragement about not worrying to people who have said, Yes, Lord, You are Lord, and I hear and receive Your call, and I will follow You. Meaning, I will not just make a temporary one-time or multiple-time statement of faith about who I believe You to be, I will not just profess creedily that you are Jesus, but I will give my life to becoming like you. I will study you, follow you, listen to you, obey you, know your words, and your words will shape my life. Jesus, I'm yours and I'll become like you. And that becomes clear a little bit later in the passage where he then says to them after the comfort, he says, but seek the kingdom of God. Or in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. They're interchangeable. They're the same thing. God's kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. So who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to followers, men, women, and children, 
who've given their lives to becoming like Him, not in their own strength, but in the power of His Spirit, and to seeking His kingdom. So the first thing we've got to do is just stop and ask ourselves uh, a couple of clarifying questions. We need to say, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God that Jesus is calling disciples to seek that they see in him, that he, he brings in, he embodies that kingdom in himself? Remember we've said often that Hebrews says Jesus is the exact radiance of God the Father. What we see in him is God the Father. So Jesus comes bringing this heavenly kingdom. What is that kingdom? If, if somebody went up to you on the street today and said, hey, um, just wondering, could you tell me about the kingdom of God? What would be your short answer? Or would you be able to give one? Love is a good place to start, Vic. Let's, let's take two minutes and let's just say to ourselves, what is this kingdom that followers of Jesus are looking for, are seeking, are yearning after, are, are giving their lives for? The kingdom of God is God's divine order. So if we would say to God, God, how, did, how do you intend for things to be? What would you like this earth to look like? He says, pray that his kingdom will come on earth the way it is in heaven. He'd say, I want earth to look like heaven. Well, what's heaven like? Well, in heaven, no one knows anything but love. Love permeates and fills every relationship in heaven. And that begins with the relationship between God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity is a relationship of love. That love flows over from the Trinity to everyone else. So in heaven, there's nothing that is not love. Which means there's nothing spoken in all relationships between angels, between God, between redeemed humans who are present with God in heaven, there's nothing that happens that is unkind, that isn't gentle, nothing that is selfish or self-centered, nothing that flows from pride, nothing happens that isn't full, fully love. Can you imagine an environment that is so thick with love that everything is permeated with it? I mean, we, we just, we just, it's so far, so far from our present everyday experience, right? Nothing is tainted, everything is pure. Every being in heaven is fully secure in the knowledge of God's love. Every person, every being, knows themselves to be valuable. Their identity as a being comes from what God says about them. God created and said, it's good. She's good. He's good. It's good. So an environment in which everyone is cherished, loved, honored, and so there's no competition. There's no competition between the sexes. 
There's not even misunderstanding between the sexes because communication is clear. There is, there is uh, peace everywhere and in everything. There is no one who is saying, uh, I, I wonder where my next meal is going to come from. I wonder if my children are going to get sick from drinking this water. I wonder if when I go home today, I'm going to be hit. I wonder if this person that I've trusted is going to leave me. Perfect relationships of love and trust and perfect provision for all needs. No competition. Is this a helpful start? So it it should be very easy for us to look around at the world that we live in and to compare it with the perfection of God's presence, God's realm, his domain of being, where we will be with him for eternity, and to, to contrast them and to say, this is where the kingdom of God is lacking or isn't. You know, we can look just a, a block and a half away at Parkway Tropics and we can see this, this place where men go in and dishonor women by viewing after them lustfully. And women dishonor themselves by making themselves objects, paid for objects. When the kingdom comes, each one will know their identity, will turn away from things that don't give value, real value, from false love, and the truth will reign. Okay, that's just a start. I mean, we could just spend hours and days and hours talking about what it looks for, like for God's presence, God's divine order that he created in the beginning that we spoiled and that he's recreating through Jesus Christ and his redeemed human family and that he will bring to its fullness at the return of Jesus. We could spend forever talking about that. But the question for us this morning is, do we actually spend much time thinking about that? Do we spend much time concerning ourselves with God's divine order, with God's kingdom, with the way that God yearns for things to be? Because that's what Jesus came to bring. That's what Jesus made possible through his death and resurrection from the dead and the giving of his spirit to his body. The scripture calls him the first fruits of a new creation. And Jesus says in Revelation, look or behold, I am, present tense, making all things new. I'm renewing. And we aren't under the false impression that all of that renewing will happen before he comes back or that we can somehow, as his body, bring about the fullness of that renewing. No, that's dependent on him. He'll do that. He'll complete it when he comes back. But he says, right now, I'm renewing. Well, how's he doing that? He's renewing by his spirit through his church, through the, I should say, through the portions of his church that are awake to him, 
that are alive to him through the portions of his body and his church on earth that, on earth that are hungering after his will to come on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a lot of parts of the church that are dead or that are sleeping or that don't really care, sadly. But all over the world, there is the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, saying, God, make things on earth the way they are in heaven. God, let it be that there are no children in our neighborhood that live afraid, that have mommies and daddies that don't care. God, make it be so that it's safe for women to walk the streets in this place. God, make it safe for for um, A, B, C, D, you, you name it. The list goes on. God, bring about your divine order. God, heal hearts. Make it so that people don't wander around internally beating themselves up because they feel like they're not worthy of being loved. God, bring your healing love to bear. So, how much of our, where your treasure is, your heart will be, right? So, so let's just ask ourselves uh, where our hearts are. We know that we love Jesus. We know that. We're so thankful for the salvation he gives us. But what about his kingdom? And the coming of it? And seeking it? Well, I'm, uh, I'm in school right now. I'm really busy. And uh, if you saw the amount of uh, tests and reading and studying that I have to do, or I'm working right now, and uh, my work is just consuming me, or I've got family things right now, and I really just don't, I just don't have time to concern myself with all that extra stuff. I mean, I, I love coming to church on Sunday. I, I do. I'm really encouraged, and I, I love meeting with fellow believers but I want to tell you a short story. Okay. A friend of mine was meeting with a financial planner some time ago. And the financial planner was saying uh, to this friend, okay, you're going to need to try to save so much for your children's education and um, and if this is your retirement goal, you ought to save about this much each year, and you're kind of behind on all that, and so here's what you're going to need to do to catch up. And this friend had just received a financial gift uh, from someone else, and so the financial planner was trying to help them uh, you know, divide it up and uh, allocate it. And the friend explained to the financial planner, well, this is what I was planning to um, save, and um, this is the portion that I was planning to give away. Uh, give where? Well, to the Lord and to the Lord's work. And the financial planner said, well, that's quite a large amount that you're planning to give. Why, why don't you give a lower amount? Uh, it would still be generous, and then you know you could play a little bit more catch-up. And um, this is what my friend said. My friend said, you don't understand. If I'm not radically generous now, I won't be radically generous later on. I can't start that later. I have to start it now. Because what I am now is what I will be later, but even more, unless God changes me. And so what I want to be later, I'm going to try to be now in the Lord's strength. 
So this is, this is what I'm saying. As we ask ourselves um, the question, am I seeking God's kingdom? And I want to say one more thing about that. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew says that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That just simply means his right way of living. Right? And so very simply, that can be, it can be evaluated like this. Am I, am I hungering and thirsting after God to make, to make um, m- not only make me right with him through faith in Jesus, but to purify me, like make me holy? So bring his rightness into my relationship with him? And am I seeking God to make me right in my relationships with everybody else? So the way that I react and respond and treat and pray for everybody I know. Does God's love and his holiness pervade my relationship with him and with everybody else? Because who I am now is who I'll be later, but even more to an nth degree. So, if getting a job in this world requires that we go to college, and it doesn't totally, but um, for many of us it seems to for the jobs we want, and if college requires four years of courses and studying and essays and tests and entrance requirements and exit requirements, and that's all to get a job that's going to last five to 50 years, then what does preparing for eternal life require? What is preparing for life as a child of God in the kingdom of God, which is my eternal vocation and destiny? What does that require? What kind of a preparation process, a seeking, a hungering after? I can feel that as I'm asking you this, these questions about um, where, where are our hearts uh, in terms of the process of that, that in terms of seeking God's kingdom, I can feel a bit of a kind of a heaviness weighing. And um, here's what two things I want to say. Um, this doesn't and shouldn't be heavy. We need to ask, first of all, we need to ask ourselves these questions because without honesty we can't grow. So we need to say to ourselves, uh, we need to say, yeah, I might have a really busy life with school or with family or with work or whatever, whatever but... When I get to the end of that and everybody's got some margin or some buffer, am I going, what am I going to? Am I going to the TV and to Facebook and to, like, where does my heart go? What do I really love? We have to ask ourselves that if we're, if we're, if we're going to be able to recognize um, whether our heart is set on God's kingdom or not. Okay? So we've got to ask the question. Honesty is good for us. But the second thing is, um, this doesn't need to be a heavy thing. It needs to be really an incredibly joyful thing. Because the truth is that in another parable that I think is in the Gospel of Luke, but it's definitely in Matthew. I don't remember. I'll tell you that. Jesus says that there's this one man who goes out and he finds, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. When a man went out and he found it, he went back home, sold everything he had, and went and bought that field to get that treasure. There's nothing more joyful in this world than giving our lives to the things of, the, of God and the kingdom of God. It's, it's a, a lie that it would be heavy on us to spend significant amounts of emotional and physical and spiritual and financial capital to seek after 
God's ways and God's kingdom on earth. It's joy. And there's nothing more joyful than giving yourself to that. But you've got to hear the call. We've got to hear the call and respond. We've got to let, let Jesus show us just how beautiful he is, just how good he is, and just how good things are in our homes and our relationships and our communities when Jesus is known and Jesus is invited to be Lord in all of his goodness, when he's invited to take up the fullness of residence within our hearts and our homes and our neighborhoods. It's joy. So, do we seek Jesus' kingdom? Because if we're seeking Jesus' kingdom, as many of us here are, then we get to these words. Then we get this, um, as you give yourselves, as you follow me. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, follow, follow. And he's got different callings for each of us. He's got different, different um, vocations. Some of us here are called into full-time um, jobs through which the Lord's going to use us mightily. And he's going to use us in the workplace and he's going to use us in the church and he's going to use us on the streets. Others of us are being called out of full-time vocational jobs. Some of us are in positions we're not supposed to be in. Some of us need to seek the Lord and say, Lord, did you put me here? Do you want me here long-term? But he's got callings for each of us because the one who calls us has a very good, specific will, good plans and purposes for our lives. Ways that he wants to use us. Ephesians says, that he has good works that he prepared in advance for us to do as we seek him. And so as we step into those, as we find out our calling in the Lord, as we walk with him and follow him, he says to us, don't you worry. Don't you worry about anything. Don't you worry. And the the tense for that, don't you worry, is a, Present imperative, which means it's an ongoing action. Ongoingly, don't ever worry. Don't ever be anxious. You're looking at me like, are you serious? You know, like, it's kind of human to be anxious, isn't it? Isn't it? I used to think that. I did. I thought everybody lives with a measure of anxiety and worry. It just kind of ebbs and flows and, um, you know, kind of gets worse and kind of gets better, but... It's common to humanity. I used to think um, that it wasn't a sin. You say, sin? Isn't that just part of our, you know, being human that we would worry? Do you know what worry um, translates into? Translates into the statement, uh, I believe in a God who doesn't take care of those he's called. Whoa. So that's the bad news that I sometimes live with a posture of my heart that says, God, I don't believe that you're willing to provide or take care or that, there's, that I have to be anxious. The good news is that I don't have to. The good news is that the, the Holy Spirit is willing to help me grow more and more into the posture of heart that lives always in Romans chapter 8, where where Paul says, 
if he gave his very life for us, how much more won't he give us everything else? If he chose us and called us and laid down his life to give us new life, how much more won't he provide the food and the clothes and the calling and whatever is necessary to supply it? He's got it. He's got everything. The, the problem's not him. The problem is our hearts that have to be and grow into this posture of being in a place where we don't worry because of who he is and who we are in him. You see, worry at the end of, doesn't depend on us. And our ability um, to not worry depends not on us, but it depends on the character of the God that we're putting our trust in. Faithful. Forever. So he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. And then he um, uses these two little sayings that I think are of such comfort. He says, little flock. Little flock. And that's a reference to sheep and him being a good shepherd, right? Sheep are skittish. It doesn't take a lot to scare sheep, does it? It, it, well, maybe you don't know. We don't have a lot of sheep around the west side, do we? <laughs> Let me just tell you. Sheep, sheep. It doesn't take much for a sheep to go, and run away. You know, just a little thing. The sheep gets scared. And, and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because he knows. He knows what we're like. He knows we're skittish. He knows we get afraid. But he takes that into account. And so you just need to know, each of us need to know that um, as we follow Jesus, as we love him, serve him, and fulfill the callings that he has on our life, that he takes into account our skittishness, our tendencies toward fear and toward worry, and he holds us in them, and he says, little flock, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your father, God the Father, is happy. He delights to give you this thing that you're seeking after. It's his will. You're sharing his heart. You're wanting the very thing for, for your relationships, for your own heart, for your own home, for your neighbors and for the world around you. You're wanting the very thing that your father wants. And so it's his pleasure. It makes him happy to give you that thing. And so little flock, you who might get afraid easily, who do tend to worry, he says, know the father's pleasure. Know it. And because he's pleased, because he longs to give you the things that, that, you're longing for when your heart lines up with his and his kingdom. And because you don't have to worry, because like the psalmist says, the, the, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. Because of that, he says, spend, spend yourselves richly. Sell your treasures. You say, how much? I don't know. What do you treasure? What do you treasure on this earth? He might ask you to sell some of it, give some of it away. Maybe, maybe we're like Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus come to new Jesus and his love, and he said, look, Lord, right away I give away half of what I have. 
Okay, that's an example. But, but maybe it's not a matter of having something and selling it. Maybe it's something else. Here's a story of uh, someone that some of you might know. His name is Lauren Cunningham, and he was the founder of um, Youth YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And um, they're a, a, a ministry and missionary organization that has bases all over the world, has, sends out thousands of uh, young people and missionaries every year. Incredible fruit for the kingdom of God. Just incredible amounts. But it all started with one person, one couple, Lauren and his wife. And when Lauren was um, sensing God's call into this ministry, he was saying yes to him. And uh, immediately after he said yes, he began to get offers for jobs from family members. Would you please come and um, run this, help run this business? And it was going to be really lucrative. And so he didn't have to sell any treasure, but he had to say no to people that loved him and he loved and that didn't understand and that were putting pressure on him and that were offering lots of money and that were even saying to him, don't you know that if you take this money and this job that you'll be able you will be able to do this ministry and, and like pay people and send them out and this money would be so helpful for you. But he had to give up that money because that wasn't God's call on him. So what's God's call? What's his call for you, Charlotte? What's his call for you, Craig? What's God's call for you, Ron? What's God call, how is he calling you to follow him? How is he calling you to serve him? He's given each unique gifts. And when you use your gifts to follow him, it's going to mean saying no to some things. It's going to mean turning down opportunities. It's going to mean giving away more. But there's joy. There's joy in it. I sense, um, just to be uh, quiet for a couple of minutes and make a little bit of space here at the end for us to be silent before the Lord and um, just to ask the Lord to um, kindle within us, Lord, what's your calling for me? Uh, Lord, how do you want me to follow you, to serve you? And um, to surrender to him any anxieties that we might be having about that. Just to say, Lord, I trust you. Take care of your children. You've got me. You've got me from here forever. You'll provide. And um, nothing will hinder me from following you. So let's, let's just posture ourselves quietly before the Lord and pray. Lord Jesus, you're um, calling to my mind those words that you spoke in Matthew 11 where you said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. And so, Lord, I, I, I thank you that um, you are a God who gives rest even as you put us to work for you. And that um, working with you and for you isn't a heavy burden, but it's the deepest of joy. And so, Lord, I pray that as we um, entrust ourselves to you afresh this morning, that you not allow um, heaviness or burden to sit on anyone, um, because that's not you. And I just pray, Lord, for a a release or a fullness of your joy in each person uh, present, that we could just delight ourselves in your character and who you are as a, a good and faithful provider and protector and rescuer and um, father, a father who cares so well for his children. And so, Lord, I pray, um, cause joy to bubble forth from our hearts now, even as we sing this song to you forever, God, you are faithful.